welcome to Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Ali. Today we're talking with Brian Cole, author of the book Milk Pigs and Violet Gold, a hardcover book from a Philippine University press, first published in 2013 and then reissued three years later to the rest of Southeast Asia. The illustrations, the artwork, and the photos in Brian's books are beautiful. I gotta say that off the top. Turning the pages, I'm driven by the narrative, the structure, and the immediacy of his stories. Like, I kind of feel like I'm there. And I constantly think, as I'm reading the recipes, I mean, really, that's all it takes to make that? But, of course, it's never just that. It isn't just gathering ingredients in a bowl and not even just knowing the right technique, whether you're making handmade noodles or one of the dozens of kakanin or rice cakes that are in the book. What I really love about milk pigs is that there's the sense of discovery, of excitement, like how the food he talks about sounds totally familiar, but at the same time, also really new. Come along with us for this month's adventures in Philippine cookery. My name's Brian Coe. I'm a food writer. I'm based in Singapore. Um, I've written two books so far. Um, well, of course, there's Milk Pigs and Milky Pig. That's Milk Pigs and Violet Gold his ode to Philippine cuisine, and its second edition, playfully titled Milkier Pigs in Violet Gold, with a few more recipes, extended chapters, and a new layout. And there's another one called 0451 Morning Supper Mohinga, and that is a book on Burmese food. Brian completed his bachelor's in mathematics at the University of Singapore, then went on to Cornell University in Ithaca, New York for his master's degree. After deciding that life as an academic wasn't necessarily for him, Brian went back to school for hospitality. And right now, when I'm not writing, I'm running a bakery in Singapore called Chalk Farm. So, how did his book Milk Pigs and Violet Gold come about, I asked. Well, okay, it kind of happened during the interim between my university days and my master's program. I did a couple of things. Chalk Farm was one of them. That's when I started it. What else I did was um, I was a freelance journalist. And so I was doing just a bit of writing. And it was quite interesting because during that time, I was, I was, I'm a bit of a food book junkie, so I do collect quite a bit. And I was reading excessively. And I kind of realized that there weren't very many food books Asian food books, I should qualify, with a kind of narrative to them. Because most of the books you get here anyway, is usually either an instruction manual or it is almost encyclopedic. That is totally true. Every time I go back to Southeast Asia, I always stop into as many bookstores as possible to check out what kinds of cookbooks they have and that I can add to my collection. <laughs> there are definitely some notable books, but for the most part, as Brian says, this stuff is pretty dry and can be kind of boring. Informative, but not like the long, winding travelogues of writers like Alan Davidson, who lived in Laos in the 1950s, or even Fuchsia Dunlop, whose memoir about Sichuan food is easily one of my favorites. 
So I was trying to have a book that engaged the reader in a really different way, something that was written from a very personal standpoint. So that was kind of how it happened, you know. And um, for some reason, I thought back then to do Philippine cuisine because it was actually, I mean, back then anyway, this was nearly 10 years ago, there wasn't really much literature about it. There is more now. There's much more now. But back then, that really wasn't the case. Nor was it this hot subject that it is now. You know, now there's so many articles and so many blogs and so many food magazines talking about it as the next big Asian cuisine. So, all this excitement surrounding Filipino food, it isn't just tipping over in North America and the West. It's happening in the actual region it's from. With so much more publicity given to Philippine ingredients and flavor profiles, restaurants in the city that host visiting chefs from Japan, South Korea, Thailand, and Spain, Filipino food is legitimately a hot commodity. I mean, the reason why that cuisine floated into my head to begin with was that I had a yaya, you know, she was from La Union, and she cooked exceedingly well. And I realized very much later on that quite a few people didn't really have that similarly good experiences with Philippine cuisine. In fact, quite a few of my friends had pretty horrific ones. As I went along, and I began telling people what I was doing, um, I got, there were quite a few raised eyebrows. And instead of, I mean, that didn't really discourage me. If anything, I think it kind of fortified my stance. My resolve that I really have to do this. Around 2009, I was basically sent on a writing assignment. I was sent to the Philippines. This was my first time on Philippine soil. It was in Lipa, Batangas. And it's ironic because it was a detox facility called The Farm. And so I went and after my you know, writing stint, I was taken around to eat. And it was an amazing experience. I uncovered a lot of things I hadn't known about. And to me that was just, you know, that entire trip was an eye opener. And that's when I kind of realized that this was something I really didn't want to do. You know, the very first scene was sown during that trip. Later that year, I went to Cornell, uh, where I did my master's, and I met two wonderful friends, uh, Bianca and Suzanne. They were the ones who actually encouraged me and provided the network for the book to happen. I've made it quite plain in the preface of the book that without their assistance, this would have not come to fruition. And this is an important thing to note. Something that Brian and I and many other people I've met while traveling can confirm about the Philippines. While it's relatively easy to get around, and really easy to talk to locals, because pretty much everyone speaks English, your chances of stumbling onto the best roadside restaurant, or having consistently good bowls of soups and stews, aren't really guaranteed without someone's recommendation. Granted, this is so much easier these days with everything being online, but with that comes another problem. How do you trust what's good? 
And you gotta keep in mind that this doesn't really apply out in the provinces where the best cooking often is. For that, for those really regional specialties that aren't served in restaurants because people don't even think of preparing it for anyone outside their homes, you know, because it's either an everyday dish or pegged as the lowly peasant fare that folks in the countryside wouldn't even think of serving, you gotta have the right connections to find that kind of food, the food that you travel for. I think for me, it's more than just the recipes. I quite like the context, you know, um, knowing a bit about their background. I mean, the recipes, I mean. The first trip I made for Milk Pigs happened in May 2010. Way back then, I thought I could probably complete this around four trips. I really remember sitting down with my friend, Suzanne. She was the one with whom I ventured to the Cordillera and Ilocos. So that was the very, very first trip up. I was going to Manila, going to Baguio, going all the way up north to Lawag, and then flying back down. So the first leg, we thought, okay, be Luzon, or maybe Luzon could be covered in two parts, and then Visayas, and then Mindanao. Three rather long trips, around two, three weeks each. So that was how it started. Very, very naive, <laughs> extremely ignorant, because I had never gone that far north. So I knew nothing about road conditions. I knew nothing about weather conditions. And the thing about Luzon, uh, central and north Luzon, it's still relatively inaccessible. Now it's getting better, but back then it really wasn't that easy to make travel plans. You know, just traveling between two towns could take you three to four hours. Uh, Suzanne knew someone who could take care of us. And uh, so that was how we arranged the trips. For, for the whole of the Philippines, I had a contact in every town that I went to. Or at least I knew someone who had gone to that town before. So I had some form of guidance, which I think is crucial, especially in the Philippines, because I wouldn't have known any better. You know, sometimes you need people to direct your attention to certain things. So for every trip, of course, I would list the towns, I would list the regions I wanted to visit, along with the concomitant dishes or delicacies from each part of the region. You know, so that was how we, we planned it out, because there were certain things I had to cover uh, I, I still remember that very first lunch meeting. We kind of flew into Manila and we, we met with our contact and he told us a few things and I started taking notes, just scribbling away, taking quite a lot of notes. And I was so preoccupied with my own little checklist that I now feel I probably didn't pay as much attention as I should have. There were a lot of juicy morsels that I actually kind of ignored. I took for granted. And I only realized this during the second and third trips. You know, I mean, people say preliminary research, but the thing is that research is ongoing. You know, you don't do research, go to a destination, and it's not as though what you see and what you have read before, it's not as though they click so easily. You don't travel to confirm and corroborate and go, okay, that's it, done. I finished this research. It's, it's seldom like that. It's quite an untidy process where as you go along, the more you uncover and the more you travel, the more you're reading up as well. So it's almost like two paths that run parallel to one another. And you've got to make sure that your eyes are on both. That's totally right. 
So I asked Brian if he could tell us more, give us an example to show what he means. And we ended up talking about a place that I had also recently visited, the provinces of Ilocos. I do love the north quite a lot. And people who ask me what was your favorite time, it was actually that trip. I knew I wanted to cover Pinakbikan in the Cordillera. I knew that I wanted to look at Pinakbet in the Ilocos to see how it was done traditionally. Pinapaitan, if you ask any Ilocano what they miss from home, I think the Ning Ding probably comes... It's probably one of the first few things they mention. And for people who don't know what a dining ding is, it's basically a very light, almost soupy vegetable braise with bagoong being the... It's, it is the main source of umami, although sometimes grilled fish is slipped in you know, to give it yeah that little bit of lovely smokiness and savoriness. And it has, it's normally bulked up with all kinds of vegetables. It's very nutritious. It's, there's no oil because everything is simply being simmered. And it's what many an Ilocano have come to find. It's what many of them miss when they're overseas, especially one prepared with bamboo shoots and jutes, um, which is taluyot. Man, all that sounds amazing. And that's why, as Brian says... You never really know until you start traveling. The first time you set foot on the country, not for a holiday, but with the intention of writing about something in that country, in that place. For me, the mood's completely different. Again, I totally agree. I was actually very, very fortunate that people were so generous with their time. The first market, I went to outside of Manila was Tarlac, and then we went up to Cordillera. So that entire lake for me was a huge eye-opener, and I do recall coming away from it quite overwhelmed. There's so many things I had to take note of. I mean, smells, tastes, sights. And in addition to everything that you're experiencing yourself, in terms of the senses, you also have to bear in mind that you have to record information about the food and about the recipes, of course. I did worry that people would be a bit thorny with me and giving recipes away. But I was quite fortunate in the Philippines because I didn't really have that. People were mostly very, very generous. It made it a joy, really. And it was overwhelming. The people's warmth, generosity, and of course the information they showered me with. To me, that's a gift. Sometimes you can kind of tell people's personalities based on how they cook. And so to me, it's, you know, it, it's rather like a window into their psyche. There are some people who take the, the pains uh, of making something simple into something quite complex by giving you a whole list of steps. And there are some people who take that same recipe and they just put everything into the same pot and boil everything up. I asked Brian how exactly he went about writing recipes for the book. Were they strictly recreations of dishes that people shared with him? Or were they more of a springboard to create versions that most people, in Southeast Asia at least, could make at home with ingredients from a local grocery store? Well, um, I obtained a lot of them through very, very casual conversation, just talking to people. Well, I didn't really expect to get recipes, but these cooks often insist that I take note of how they did it. <laughs> So, no, so there's this amount of pride, which I really like. 
for me anyway, I felt that I had a lot to answer for simply because I was a Singaporean, a strange Singaporean boy collecting recipes. And at the end of it, these recipes do belong to other people. And I really wanted to make sure I took good care of them. I guess that for me, there was this sense of accountability that I wanted to explain myself. And I really wanted to tell people why I made some changes. Also, because the ingredients here are quite different. You know, for example, even the vinegar you get in the Philippines is so different. You've got nipa palm vinegar. In Ilocos, you've got you know, that beautiful mahogany-colored vinegar from the sugar cane. We don't have that here. You know, if, if, you, if you go to Lucky Plaza, which is where most people get their Philippine ingredients, you, you will be met with the most basic, which is uh, sugar cane vinegar. Just a very clear solution, very clean solution. That does, I mean, it, it, it's very good to use, but it lacks a lot of nuance that you, you know, from a vinegar you probably would get in the Philippines in the market. And you can even pick your wagoong and your fish sauce. So while people have the luxury of saying, you know, I want to use this vinegar for my adobo. I don't want to use run-of-the-mill chicken vinegar. I, I want to use, you know, something from the Nipa Palm. To be able to make that choice is a luxury. Oh, I know, Brian. Pretty much everyone outside the Philippines has the same problem. It's one of the things we totally miss about home. When you look at a cookbook on Philippine food, you, uh, it doesn't take a lot to realize that a lot of the dishes are very, very simple. So, I mean, Philippine cooking on the whole is extremely simple. Uh, very, very few things are complicated. And for me, going to the, going to the markets and seeing this amount of variety, I mean, not, not, of course, vinegar is one of them, but bagoong, but this rice, the variety of rice you have over there. And of fresh produce, vegetables, amazing, amazing stuff. For me, everything just clicked. You realize how the quality of these dishes, how much of that rests on the quality of the ingredients. And this is one of the great things about Brian, and one of the best parts of talking with him. Remembering that he is, as he calls himself, this strange Singaporean boy, as much as I cannot wait to explore Singapore's hawker stalls, and much as many Filipinos would jump at the opportunity to visit, it's worth remembering that for all the culinary delights of Singapore, we have so much to be proud of in the Philippines for the rich history and variety of our foodways. As he describes, there is so much to see and eat and sample here. Singapore may have flourished with so many food traditions from Southeast Asia, mingling in the heat of their walks, contributing to an exquisite, greatly, greatly delicious cuisine that is uniquely Singaporean. But in the Philippines, with the variations of our topography and landscape, these dense, mountainous areas jutting out of endless rice fields, the seas with species of fish, too many to count, we got a lot to be proud of. This is why I feel kind of like a broken record saying that to truly appreciate Filipino food, stripped of any pretension or fusion or adaptiveness, to understand why our palates have developed in such a way and evolved to accommodate all these shortcuts that many contemporary cooks turn to, 
you got to go back to the source and taste what those different types of vinegar, those fresh vegetables from the market, and loads of live seafood taste like. I know it can be a lot to plan a trip to the Philippines, but I assure you that for someone who is anywhere near interested in those nuances and the real flavors of Philippine cuisine, it's totally worth it. And so when you see things in such variety, for me, for me, it makes just a lot of sense how people could be so burningly enthusiastic about it or how, how, how they could feel so strongly about it. Because this is what I feel personally anyway, a lot about Philippine cuisine, even on the palate, it's not, it isn't extraordinarily complicated. It's not like Thai, where you necessarily have sweet, sour, salty, at those volumes. Because, you know, the thing about Thai food, glorious um, as it is, it's also quite loud in that sense. I mean, palate, I mean, if someone about the flavor profile, it's quite loud. You, you have, you know, a, a taste of a papaya salad and you know what's there. You know, the sweet is there. Everything hits you. In the Philippines, if, you, if we're talking about, you know, a lot of soups, a lot of it comes down to nuance and there's delicateness in quite a lot of the food. And so something like vinegar, I could begin to understand why, you know, just simply changing the vinegar would result in a very, very different dish. I might not have understood it before, just reading a recipe book, you know, or why changing an ingredient would, just one or two ingredients in a dish would produce something that deserved a different name. Just for example, just seeing how much variety there is over there. It really made me quite appreciative of this. For me, it simply made more sense after seeing everything like that. On the subject of food terminology. The real bugbear was having to explain this to people. I mean, even something like suman, for example, it, it, oh God, the sleepless nights. Because we used to make a lot of nonya kueh at home. Kueh being local rice cakes, if you like, snacks. And uh, we would always have an excess of glutinous rice. And Brian shares that their housekeeper, who was Filipina, would always find a use for this glutinous rice. I, I do know that this is not the authentic way, or, sorry, not the traditional way of doing it. But what she would do is that she would sort of resuscitate this cold rice in a bit of gata or you know some coconut milk or coconut cream, and she would swallow them up in banana leaf, these tapering logs, and then she would steam them. So that was my first encounter with suman. She called them suman anyway. I think most people would. Even something like that. How do you explain to people how suman is, on one hand? the name of something very specific and something very, very generic. Because suman is also simply rice cake. And to also explain to people that, well, you know, in some ways the term bibinka can also be applied to a similar rice cake. For example, suman in the Visayas is budbud. If you spoke to any Visayan, they would do well to tell you <laughs> that no, you know, you don't call it suman here. And the difference is that budbud has got ginger inside and maybe a bit of pandan. And I find that quite fascinating only because of where I come from in Singapore and of course in Malaysia, how most times we won't even bother with, with a different name 
of course, people will probably say, you know, it's a language difference, blah, blah, blah. And I get all of that. I completely get it. But for me, it was fascinating because I had to explain <laughs> uh, why this particular item wants a completely new name. And it was just based on one small ingredient change. I love this and find it really interesting as well. Honestly, people can be fierce when it comes to what regional foods are named. And you don't even have to wait until visiting the Philippines to see that. All you gotta do is lurk around a couple of Facebook groups, I'll have some links in the show notes, about regional Philippine cuisine and you'll see people argue or, at the very least, have some really animated discussions about what certain foods, ingredients, or snacks from their respective hometowns are called. Like, upwards of 83 comments worth. One thing that a lot of people have told me was, oh, I did not know they did something in this region, that there's some delicacy in another town, another region, on a different island, that's quite similar to something they have at home. I mean, I don't really see myself as an authority. I see myself as someone who's learning as he goes along. And something else is that people often say, I did not know that there was so much to explore. There was so much to eat. For people to say that after reading a book that's been written by a foreigner, I find it quite um, moving, and I'm grateful. Well, we're pretty thankful, too, that Filipino food has made such an impression and become such a significant part of Brian's life. Even if many of us never actually get to go to the towns he's visited, or ask the empanada makers of Ilocos what exactly goes into that beyond-tasty sausage and papaya filling, in the famous vegan empanadas. Reading about it gets my taste buds going and piques my interest to find out more about those delicious foods that I can attempt to make at home. With the recipes, photographs, and kitchen notes in Brian's book, and many others, this definitely counts toward my own journey of exploring Filipino kitchens. Many thanks to Brian Ko for recording this interview with me last year. And if you find yourself in Singapore, head over to Chalk Farm, Brian's cake shop on Orchard Road. I've been drooling over this pandan and adzuki bean cake they make, and kind of wish I could have one shipped over to me. Also coming up this year is Brian's third book called Bekwo, Stories and Recipes from Peninsula Malaysia's East Coast. That's coming up in August, and I can't wait to get my copy. Our theme music is by David Seste, segment music is by Eric and McGill and Squire Tuck, which you'll find on fma.org. Visit exploringfilipinokitchens.com for past episodes, and if you're listening to this through a podcast app, please go ahead and click that subscribe button so we can continue to explore Filipino kitchens together. Maraming salamat, and thank you for listening.